This is a LibriVox.org recording by Ashwin Jain. This recording is in the public domain. Thus Spake Zatustra by Fethrik Nisha Translated by Thomas Common Part 4 Chapter 71 The Creating It was late in the afternoon only when Zatustra after long useless searching and strolling about, again came home to his cave. When, however, he stood over against it, not more than twenty paces therefrom, the thing happened which he now least of all expected. He heard anew the great cry of distress, an extraordinary. This time the cry came out of his own cave. It was a long, manifold, peculiar cry, and Zarathustra plainly distinguished that it was composed of many voices. Although heard at a distance, it might sound like the cry out of a single mouth. Thereupon Zarathustra rushed forward to his cave, and behold, what a spectacle awaited him after that concert, for there did they all sit together, whom he had passed during the day, the king on the right and the king on the left, the old magician, the pope, the voluntary beggar, the shadow, the intellectually conscientious one, the sorrowful soothsayer, and the ass. The ugliest man, however, had set a crown on his head and had put round him to purple girdles, for he liked, like all ugly ones, disguise himself and play the handsome person. In the midst, however, of this sorrowful company stood Zratustra's eagle, ruffled and disquieted, for it had been called upon to answer too much for its pride had not any answer. The wise serpent, however, hung round its neck. All this did Zarathustra behold with great astonishment. Then, however, he scrutinized each individual quest with courteous curiosity, read their souls, and wondered anew. In the meantime, the assembled ones had risen from the seats and waited with reverence for Zarathustra to speak. Zarathustra, however, spake thus. Ye despairing ones, ye strange one, so it was your cry of distress that I heard, and now do I know, also, where he is to be sought, whom I have sought for in vain today, the higher man. In mine own cave sitteth he, the higher man, but why do, I wonder, have not I myself allured him to me by honey offerings and artful your calls of my happiness? But it seemeth to me that ye are badly adapted for company. Ye make one another's hearts fretful. Ye that cry for help when ye sit here together. There is one that must first come, one who will make you laugh even more. A good jovial buffoon, a dancer, a wind, a wild romp, some old fool. What think ye? Forgive me, 
However, it is sparing ones for speaking such trivial words before you, unworthy, verily, of such guests. But ye do not have divine, but maketh my heart wanton. Ye yourselves do it, and your aspect forgive it me. For every one becometh courageous who beholdeth a despairing one. To encourage a despairing one, every one thinketh himself strong enough to do so. To myself have ye given this power, a good gift, mine honourable guests, an excellent guest present. Well, do not then upbraid when I also offer you something of mine. This is mine empire and my dominion. That which is mine, however, shall this evening and tonight be yours. Mine animals shall serve you. Let my care be your resting place. At house and home with me shall no one despair. In my pearliest do I protect everyone from his wild beasts. And that is the first thing which I offer you, security. The second thing, however, is my little finger. And when ye have that, then take whole hand also. Yeah, and the heart with it. Welcome here. Welcome to you, my guests. Thus spake Zaratustra, and laughed with love and mischief. After this greeting, his guests bowed once more, and were reverentially silent. The king on the right, however, answered him in the name. O Zaratustra, by the way, in which thou hast given us thy hand and thy greeting, we recognize thee as Zaratustra. Thou hast humbled thyself before us, almost hast thou hurt our reverence. Who, however, could have humbled himself as thou hast done, with such pride? That uplifted us ourselves, a refreshment is it, to our eyes and hearts. To behold this, merely, gladly would we ascend higher mountains than this, for as eager beholders have we become. We wanted to see what brighteneth dim eyes. And lo, now is it all over with our cries of distress. Now are our minds and hearts open and enraptured. Little is lacking for our spirits to become wanton. There is nothing, O Zarathustra, that groweth more pleasingly on earth than a lofty, strong will. It is the finest growth. An entire landscape refreshes itself at one such tree. To the pine do I compare him, Uzzatushra, which groweth up like thee, tall, silent, hardy, solitary, of the best, supplest wood, stately. In the end, however, grasping out for its dominion with strong, green branches, asking weighty questions of the wind, the storm, and whatever is at home on high places, answering more vaguely, a commander, a victor, oh, who should not ascend high mountains to behold such growths? At thy tree, O Zatustra, the gloomy and ill-constituted also refreshed themselves. At thy look, 
even the wavering becomes steady and heal their hearts and verily towards thy mountain and thy tree do many eyes turn today a great longing hath arisen and many have learned to ask who is zarathustra and those into whose ears thou hast at any time dipped thy song and thy honey all the hidden ones the lone dwellers and the twain dwellers have simultaneously said to their hearts dot zarathustra still alive is it no longer worth while to live everything is indifferent everything is useless or else we must live with zarathustra why doth he not come who had so long announced himself thus do many people ask had solitude swallowed him up or should we perhaps go up to him now doth it come to pass that solitude itself becometh fragile and breaketh open like a grave that breaketh open and can no longer hold its dead everywhere one seeth resurrected ones now do the waves rise and rise around the mountain of zarathustra and however high be thy height many of them must rise up to thee thy bow shall not rest much longer on dry ground and that we despairing ones have now come into thy cave and already no longer despair it is but a prognostic and a presage that better ones are on the way to thee for they themselves are on the way to thee the last remnant of god among men that is to say all the men of great longing of great loathing of great satiety all who do not want to live unless they learn again to hope unless they learn from thee of zarathustra the great hope thus spake the king on the right and seized the hand of zarathustra in order to kiss it but zarathustra checked his veneration instead backed frightened fleeing as it were silently and suddenly into the far distance after a little while however he was again at home with his guests looked at them with clear scrutinizing eyes and said my guests ye higher men i will speak plain language and plainly with you it is not for you that i have waited here in these mountains plain language and plainly good god said here the king on the left to himself one seeth he doth not know the good occidentals this sage out of the orient but he meaneth blunt language and bluntly well that is not the worst taste in these days ye may verily all of you be higher men continued zarathustra but for me ye are neither high enough nor strong enough for me that is to say for the inexorable which is now silent in me but will not always be silent and if ye appertain to me it is not as my right arm for he who himself standeth like you on sticky and tender legs 
wisheth above all to be treated indulgently, whether he be conscious of it or hide it from himself. My arms and my legs, however, I do not treat indulgently. I do not treat my warriors indulgently. How then could ye be fit for my warfare? With you I should spoil all my victories, and many of you would tumble over if ye but heard the loud beating of my drums. Moreover, ye are not sufficiently beautiful and well-born for me. I require pure, smooth mirrors for my doctrine. On your surface, even mine own likeness is distorted. On your shoulders presseth many a burden, many a recollection, many a mischievous dwarf squatteth in your corners. There is concealed populace also in you. And though ye be high and of a higher type, much in you is crooked and mishappen. There is no smith in the world that could hammer you right and straight for me. Ye are only bridges. May high words pass over upon you. Ye signify steps. So do not upbraid him who ascended beyond you into his height. Out of your seat there may one day arise for me a genuine son and perfect hair, but that time is distant. Ye yourselves are not those unto whom my heritage and name belong. Not for you do I wait here in these mountains. Not with you may I descend for the last time. You have come unto me only as a presage that high ones are on the way to me. Not the men of great longing, of great loathing, of great satiety, and that which ye call the remnant of God. Nay, nay, three times nay, for others do I wait here in these mountains, and will not lift my foot from thence without them. For higher ones, stronger ones, triumphanter ones, merrier ones, for such as are built squarely in body and soul, laughing lions must come. O oh my guests, ye strange ones, have ye heard nothing of my children, and that they are on the way to me? Do speak unto me of my gardens, of my happy isles, of my new beautiful race. Why do ye not speak unto me thereof? This guest present do I solicit of your love, that ye speak unto me of my children. For them am I rich, for them I became poor. What have I not surrendered? What would I not surrender that I might have one thing? These children, this living plantation, these life trees of my will and my highest hope, Thus spake Zaratustra, and stopped suddenly in his doctrine, for his longing came over him, and he closed his eyes and his mouth, because of the agitation of his heart. And all his guests were also silent, and stood there and confounded, except only that the old soothsayer made signs with his hands and his gestures. End of chapter 71 Recorded by Ashwin Jain